It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There were a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, Whitehall bosses are on the hunt for a new head of the civil service. That's after the dramatic removal of the cabinet secretary, Mark Sedwell. He will leave number 10 at the end of September after less than two years in the post. One of his roles, the Prime Minister's national security advisor, has already been handed off to the man who's currently the chief Brexit negotiator, David Frost. So, Sambo, this is an interesting uh, development and I, I think probably going to cause some alarm in Whitehall generally. Yeah, I suppose it, dep- dispend, uh, it depends which side you're on in terms of Brexit, in terms of the cliques going on in number 10. He is now the shortest lived cabinet secretary of all time, but a big win if you're a fan of Dominic Cummings and the Vote Leave team, who've been very keen to purge certain big names in various parts of the civil service. It's somewhat overshadows also the morning's government announcement a billion pounds of funding for 50 major school building projects in england on top of that boris johnson's pledging 560 million for repairs to crumbling buildings so the checkbook being wielded once more let's get into this with fleur anderson who's the labor mp for putney fleur money going into schools got to be a good thing hasn't it oh well i'll never complain about money going to schools but it's got to be said this um, has been after 10 years of underfunding by the Conservative government of schools. Um, and schools will also be looking for, for other much-needed funding for teaching positions and especially for special educational needs support as well. So I do not complain about money for buildings. It's much needed, but there's also further funding is going to be needed to bring our education system back up to where it was before. But the other problem, I guess, in all this, Fleur, is, is money is being, it seems, almost every day or every week anyway, pledged. There's already, of course, vast amounts of money going into the furlough system. Uh, the country is going to be pretty severely indebted at the end of all this, isn't it? We are. And um, how we build out of this and what we do next is really important. We cannot have more years of austerity. That was They were the wrong policies up to now and brought us to a very much more unequal um, society. And also the the provision of the economic support package has been unequal in many ways as well. Many people have fallen through the cracks. So we can't stop the spending. There needs to be more spending to enable more people who um, are in employment, which cannot come back very soon.
coronavirus. This is going to go on for many, many more months. Uh, but then what we have next can, must be to, to grow our economy as fast as possible and to be able to, to build back better. And how we do that can mean things like green jobs, how we spend the money um, on building as well um, and housing. So after the Spanish flu, for example, 100 years ago, there was an enormous uh, realisation that overcrowded contributed to the spread of the virus and needed to be addressed. And there was an enormous house building project. And I would like to see projects like that, which enable spending, but also spending in a way that it, it changes our society for the future, for the better. Uh, but an enormous house building project sounds like what we're going to get from Boris Johnson tomorrow. You talk about spending. We're hearing rumblings of, of billions. This is pretty much what we're talking about. What would Labour do differently here? Um, I think what what we will do differently is it's, it's, it's the way that the, it's spent, who benefits from it. So are we talking about um, big, big developers um, or are we talking about investing in social housing and, and getting the jobs back? And also the way that we have the... the um, spending across the country. I know that Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, constantly talks about levelling up, but is he really doing that across the whole country um, is another way that Labour would do it differently. And we would also be spending the, the money, uh, also investing more in, in our healthcare for the long term. And not. I'm, I am very worried about the trade bills that are being negotiated at the moment, which could lead to more splitting up of our NHS. Um, and the, the way we have these uh, opening up other countries to our trade negotiations, how that has happened is what I've been looking at a lot in Parliament in the last few weeks over our new trade negotiations, and I'm very concerned about that. So are we building up in a way that um, benefits a lot of private sectors and the corporations, or are we building up in a way that brings our communities back together and is, and it is equally spent across our country and communities? They would be the differences. But, Fleur, all this assumes that we are into, uh, let's call it, the recovery phase, that we are moving mm. in that direction. But the fact is that certainly in the US, and it seems in parts of the UK, we may not be. We may be moving into perhaps a resurgence of the virus. I mean, Leicester is the obvious example at the moment. Uh, do you think that that is a really big risk at the moment? I am very worried about a second wave. And we all need to be. And we all need to keep to those rules and to be keeping really careful. And when I see large groups of people um, getting together and um, understandably people are frustrated after many months, but I think we have to keep being very, very cautious and not having that second wave. But I think putting in place measures to make sure that we are absolutely on top of this, such as the weekly testing of NHS and care worker staff, which Labour has been pushing for, are ways in which we can quickly identify where there might be outbreaks and then prevent that happening. So if we've identified it fast in Leicester, take an, take an action to stop that. Um, and we know that we can be confident in that going forward. That will help to stop the second wave and make sure that in about three months' time we don't see that again. But it, I agree, it's a big concern and I don't think we can be complacent. So how cautious are we talking here? Would you continue the lockdown as it is or would you support the business and planning bill uh, later today, for example, that would allow restaurants to put tables outside and we have something resembling normality but with precautions in place? Well, tables outside is not business as usual, is it? So that is, that's a good ad- adaptation of how we can be um, according to the science that has been shown that if you're outside, there's far more likelihood of spreading the virus. So opening up, but in a way that's very different and, and we operate within that. Um, and then constantly checking and having the kind of systems that 
show if there is an outbreak will make all the difference. So I do think we should keep opening up, um, but slowly and cautiously. We locked down really fast, but I think the uh, the way to the future of reopening is going to take many, many months, and that's the right approach. Let me ask you, Fleur, about your own party and all this, because it has been very interesting to see how uh, Keir Starmer is changing your party. And the most obvious thing, of course, was the uh, sacking of Rebecca Long-Bailey. A lot of people thought very striking move. I mean, many people thought it was too much. Many people thought it was the right tone, perhaps symbolic more than anything. What was your take on it? I'm, I'm sad to lose, lose a colleague from their cabinet. I think Rebecca has been doing very well as an education secretary, but I think it was absolutely the right move by Keir Starmer because I don't want to go back to any, visit any houses as I had to do during the election and see so many people who are Jewish or who, are, who want to see an equal society saying they can't support the Labour Party. It absolutely broke my heart. So we have to build up the trust of huge numbers of people across the country that we are a, a party that stands against racism and against discrimination. And to do that, we have to take is like um, not standing up for any any types of anti-Semitic tropes or comments and to do that action firmly. So I think Keir Starmer took the right decision to do that. And I, I think this is one step along the way of rebuilding the trust, which we have to do. Um, as the Labour Party now. How, how would you respond to people who, who saw it as a purge? I don't agree that it was. I think Re- Rebecca did did tweet that. I don't think it was done for ideological means. I mean, I, I've worked with Keir Starmer um, and he really wanted to work with Rebecca Long-Bailey and he, he does want to work across the party as well to be to not be a divisive figure, but to, to unify the party, to work in all the different wings. But to, do, but to not also to not do that in a way that is, and we have to be apologising for um, anti-Semitic comments in any way at all. So the two have to go together, and I think they can. I don't think it was a purge. I don't think he was looking out for this as an excuse um, to, to move her along at all, um, because we can see in other members of the Shadow Cabinet that, he, that Keir Starmer is very keen to work across different groups of the party. But we have to also have a different approach um, towards um, anti-Semitism, and and this proves that we have. So, Fleur, I mean, you've already said she's very talented, someone who was a very important, impressive member of the Shadow Cabinet. So perhaps after a decent interval, bring her back in then? Uh, I don't know what the future holds. I know that Kate Green, who's the new Education Secretary, is, is excellent. Um, she has had a long record of um, as the Chief Executive of the Child Poverty Group. So she will be an excellent Education Secretary. So I don't know what will happen in the future. Um, but I think it leaves out a very clear um, way in which we will res- be responding as a party. And it, it says to all of us MPs, this is this is the way you have to act as well, that we will not put up with any anti-Semitism. So it, it's the right message for us all, but I don't know what will happen in the future. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. We touched on it briefly in the first part of the programme. Let's bring you a bit more detail on the situation in Leicester. The mayor of the city has said pubs and restaurants may stay closed for two more weeks 
due to a surge in coronavirus cases. In the two weeks to the 23rd of June, there were 866 positive cases in Leicester. That's 29% of those who have tested positive since the pandemic began. So a high proportion there. Restrictions across England, of course, due to be eased from Saturday. But we may see Leicester lagging behind on that. It would be the first one to have some sort of local exception. Yesterday, we had Pretty Patel talking about uh, the possibility of a local lockdown. So it seems like there's been a bit of a step down from that situation. But we are waiting to hear to see exactly whether this will be treated separately to the rest of England. Meanwhile, remember the app, the app that went in and the app that went out, the apps that worked and the app well, it never really did, of course. But the NHS is considering PPE in your pocket as the slogan for the revamped contact tracing app. That's according to the Financial Times. It says the tagline was proposed during a staff meeting at NHS X last week. The report says other features are said to be under development include a Geiger counter style map that would warn people about areas with a large number of infections, a countdown timer that helps people track the duration of an enforced period of self-isolation, and barcodes for buildings that would enable offices and restaurants to know if someone with the virus had visited them. I've got to say, I'm extremely sceptical about all of this. If you look at the NHS and its history with IT, not exactly being uh, stellar, has it? And some of this looks quite complicated, to say the least. Uh, and then we've got the story of applied Cymru MP who has accepted a police caution after an incident last month that resulted in police officers being called to his home. Jonathan Edwards, who represents Carmarthen East, said he was deeply sorry and it was the biggest regret of his life. His wife has also issued a statement saying she accepts her husband's apology. Edwards has referred himself now to Plaid Cymru's internal disciplinary committee and he has been suspended from the party. So at the moment he's sitting as an independent. Right, now, it's been an interesting moment for Boris Johnson at the beginning of this week. The strategy that he's getting forward to try and get the country back on course seems to be basically spend big as a means of keeping the economy going. But it's all being done in a way that leaves many Conservatives on his back benches and elsewhere wondering, well, which party are they actually in? Well, joining us now, I'm very pleased to say, is Will Jennings, Professor of Political Science and Public Policy at the University of Southampton. Will, thanks for being with us. Um, it, this does all seem a very long way from small state conservatism, doesn't it? Yes, although it's not a huge departure from the general election, where really the Conservatives put forward uh, an agenda that was actually, you know, had already moved um, to the to the left, as we might say, on 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 economics, offering kind of greater investments, the whole levelling up agenda. So we what what we're seeing is really a continuation of how the party of 2010 um, that kind of promised us austerity, austerity and delivered it um, has really um, changed 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 its um, its stance on um, how to get the economy moving. I mean, we saw, as you say, in 2019, the Tories were on board with this sort of thing. Are they still? I look at things like the immigration bill today, where there's an amendment tabled that a lot of senior Tories are backing. So it seems to me that we are starting to get hints, maybe, of rebellion from the Tory backbenchers. Well, there's a very interesting report out by the um, UK and a Changing Europe um, team, which actually highlights there's a huge gap between the um, economic views of uh, Conservative MPs and the economic views of Conservative voters in 2019. That the 2019 Conservative vote is actually significantly to, to the left in terms of um, uh, of um, uh, the, the, the nature of big business. 
uh, and the nature of kind of economic policy compared to the parliamentary party. Uh, and I think the real challenge for the government uh, are keeping um, those the, the kind of the MPs in, in kind of on board with what their supporters uh, are looking for. And so it is, a, it is a real political challenge for a party that's actually seen its electorate change quite significantly over the last um, five years in particular. Another interesting aspect of all this, well, is in the nature of the party, is what was the headline in the Daily Telegraph this morning about a Brexiteer potentially to lead the civil service. I, if conservative, traditional conservatives aren't recognising the spending ideas of the Tory party, also perhaps they may have some concerns about the way in which the party is going along with the traditions of administration in this country, because this is almost unprecedented. Yes, I mean, I think, and if one, one looks at the kind of long tradition of conservatism as a political um, kind of ideology and approach to governing, it has very much been uh, kind of supportive of, of incrementalism, uh, not changing too much of the, the country's institutions, although that, that, I think, is open to question. I think we've seen uh, many kind of radical and reforming conservative governments of the past. But certainly, I think this sort of um, question about what the nature of reform of uh, the civil service might look like does raise certain questions. But I think it's also certainly true that the Conservative Party itself and, and, and uh, its MPs have changed um, in terms of um, their sort of kind of radical views on policy in, in the sense that some of the more moderates um, who left the party in the run-up to the 2019 election and at the 2019 election have gone uh, and there are new MPs who are maybe perhaps slightly more aligned with uh, new ways of thinking about um, how British government should be organised. And so all this is part of a kind of longer term shift uh, in within the, both the kind of the parliamentary party, but also among its electorate. And how could the civil service look differently? I mean, looking through some of the names that Cummings and his gang had sort of looked at getting out, quite a few of them have gone now. Is this the start of something significant for the the face or the operation of the civil service well the civil service has been you know founded for for a very long time on um principles of uh, merit and impartiality and um political appointments although um they have increased in terms of some um particular roles within government the kind of core civil service has not really been affected by political appointments in the way that they are in other countries, that administrations come in and uh, put their own people in place. Um, I think it's worth um, holding fire uh, on, on kind of snap judgments about precisely what's happening in, until we see whether the, these uh, sorts of changes are going to be institutionalised or whether they're just isolated to a few cases where the government thinks it really needs uh, key people in place to deliver its agenda. But it certainly hints um, that there may be more to come in terms of civil service reform. But I think from, from, from my perspective, I think one always wants to wait to see actually what the substantive lasting reforms might be that will leave a real legacy and, 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 and that changes the way that British government's organised, as opposed to kind of ad hoc decisions that might help the government and might reflect certain values or certain views of how we should be governed without changing things for the long term.
Well, let's move the focus to the Labour Party, because it's very interesting that Keir Starmer was seen to be stamping his authority rather dramatically and very visibly by getting rid of Rebecca Long-Bailey. Earlier in the programme, we heard from Fleur Anderson, uh, Labour MP, who clearly thought it was an effective uh, move and, and one that had gone well for him. Do you think that is the case? Do you think perhaps it's a gesture that's worked? I, mean, I think it's probably worth putting in the, in the wider context that Starmer, uh, since he's taken over as leader, has been very sure-footed and made you know a series of decisions uh, that really have, 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 have um, uh, demonstrated that he's got a good grip on the party he's uh, you know regained control of the NEC he's got his his, his, his you know kind of choice for um, uh, the, the, the general secretary of the Labour Party um, he, he he's managed to do a series of things and kind of provide um, in his kind of words constructive opposition of the government um, that it really has set a tone for his leadership and so I think the, the, the sacking has got to be put in that context. I, I don't think um, it, there's any evidence that it's a fight he went looking for um, but when he was faced with the situation he seemed to act um, decisively um, uh, 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 and, um, uh, and, 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 and more broadly his, the way he seems to be managing putting together his team it's actually been quite um, a pluralistic way in which he's brought together different parts of the party in with his, his team. It doesn't seem to be hugely um, factional in the way that he's um, leading the Labour Party. So I think it just reflects um, a broader shift in his style of leadership um, that is fairly no nonsense, um, uh, pretty kind of you know decisive, um, and really wants to move the party forward from some of the arguments it's been having in, in, in the past few years. And in terms of how he's holding the government to account, uh, we've seen those uh, PMQs happen week after week. Do you think this strategy is going to continue as we go into the next phase of rebuilding? Yeah, and I think it's been um, a quite effective strategy. And it really reflects, I think, what what we're hearing from voters. So we've, we've actually been doing some focus groups with uh, 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 different people in different parts of the country, asking them about their, their attitudes on more broader trust towards politics, but actually around COVID. And I think actually the a quite despite the fact we've seen an ebb and flow of people, so how people how satisfied people are with how the government's handling COVID, people at an implicit level trust the government to look out for their best interests. And I think um, what Starmer's seen is that the best way to approach that is to to recognise that people do need government in a time of crisis like this, but to ask the right questions at the right time. And so it seems a quite effective strategy politically because it's not seen as politicising what is a, is a national crisis and that people are looking for politicians to, to, to not be engaged in kind of petty politics um, and something that really kind of turns voters off. And so I think um, that sort of strategy will be really important, and especially as we move towards... Um, you know, the kind of next phase, although I think we're really in the, still in the first phase of the public yeah. health crisis, that we're going to face real economic challenges. And I think it's going to yes. be very important for Starmer to, well, to keep setting the agenda of the questions he asks. All right, Will, thank you so much for being with us. Will Jennings there, Professor of Political Science and Public Policy at the University of Southampton, getting a sense of how effective Keir Starmer is being uh, and how effective the government is being in terms of keeping the public on board as you move through to the next phase, of course, this weekend of the easing of the lockdown. You've been listening to Bloomberg Westminster. Bye-bye. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.